This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. And for many years now, millions of people have sought the Christian wisdom and advice and instruction of my next guest on marriage and family and relationships. But before any of us can impart wisdom, of course, the Lord has to give it to us, often through many years of walking with Him and learning some important lessons that we can then pass on to others. And Dr. Gary Chapman certainly has done that. He is a national radio host, author of more than 50 books, including the best-selling The Five Love Languages series, and he speaks all over the world, also serves as senior associate pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in North Carolina. And he is out now with a book about his own unexpected journey. It is called Life Lessons and Love Languages. And it's so good to talk to you again, Gary. How are you doing? Well, thank you, Janet. I am doing well. I hope you are. I am. You know what? This is a fun book to read because you always seem to have been focused on other people's lives. What made you want to let people in on your own story a little bit in your life? I think it was getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was it. No, no, no. You know, you have to stop somewhere along the line and say, maybe I should reflect on where I've been, you know, and what God has done in my life and the lessons I've learned, and maybe share them with other people. So, yeah, that was my motivation. (laughs) Well, I think that's good, and it also probably helps you to recount all the important events throughout your own life so you can see what the Lord has done in your life along the way. Sometimes that's a good way to see what He's done. Absolutely, and it's very humbling, you know, just to just walk through my life and see the things God has done and realize, Mm, yeah, I didn't do all this stuff. <laughs> you was at work in my life, you know. Yes, absolutely. But I, I think it's great because you really do give people a glimpse into how you got to where you are now and how you've been able to help so many people. And I thought the story of your family was really interesting. You say that the first 17 years of your life greatly influenced you. Can you tell people a little bit about growing up and your mom, your dad, and what life was like for you? Yeah, I grew up in a little small textile town called China Grove. Not the one the Doobie Brothers sang about. but That's <laughs> <laughs> going through my head now, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and life was very structured. You know, we went to school. We caught the school bus and went to school. Did that all 12 years. You know, same school bus, the same school. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then came home and did our homework. And then in the spring and summer worked in the garden and uh, took care of the chickens and slop the hog. Wow, that's good. (laughs) You know, I mean, really, just a typical southern small town. Um, Mom and Dad were both believers, and uh, we were at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. Wow. And in high school, the youth department was very, very uh, much a part of my life. So, you know, I just looked back and thought about the number of people who influenced my life through, through the church, you know, those who taught me at church. And it led me to really encourage pastors to to encourage their children's workers, their youth workers, 
because if you can impact the child in the early years and the teenage years, I mean, you've, you've, you've got them on a good track for a lifetime. Right. So, you know, just realize the importance of all of that. Well, yeah, some of the things that I know you talk about is the importance of giving kids structure, things like setting bedtimes, teaching life skills, and especially on the life skill angle, I thought it was very interesting that you said, you know, you really need to give kids a lot of things to do, and sometimes you can even get a clue about that by talking to them. What did you learn life skill-wise that you look back on and say, I'm really, really glad that I learned all of that? You know, I think it's things like mowing grass, for one thing, washing a car, uh, uh, planting a garden. I mean, where would you learn those things if you don't learn them in the first 17 years? Right, you know? yeah. And, and washing dishes. Yeah. I mean, and since I, now I'm married and my wife's language is acts of service, <laughs> I'd thank my mother for teaching me how to wash dishes. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, one of the things I suggest, as you know, in the book is for parents, make a list of all the skills, all the things you'd like your children to be able to know how to do by the time they get to be 18 years old. Mm, that's and let the great. teenagers help you. If you want to, let them help you make a list. And then age appropriately, teach those things to the children. Yeah. How to make up a bed, you know? Yep. I mean, I've been in freshman dorms at Wake Forest University, and the beds are never made up. Hmm. You know, and the, all the dirty clothes are at the bottom of the bed in a pile, you know? Yes. So where was Mama? Uh, <laughs> Why right. didn't she teach them how to do this? Right. <laughs> right, because learning those things transfers to other things down the road. I sometimes think that when kids are little, you think, ah, oh, what's the purpose of that? But you're teaching them character traits, aren't you, when you're going through those sorts of things? Absolutely, and responsibility. Yes, you right. know, if they're responsible for making up their own bed, cleaning up their own room, you know, washing dishes, you know, either regularly or periodically, or may all the kids taking turns and that sort of thing, you're teaching them responsibility, and they feel good about themselves. Yeah, right. You know, because there's there's always reward for just you know doing something worthwhile, and you feel good about it. Totally right. Now, you mentioned growing up in church. You grew up in a Baptist church, obviously, but you say it was at church that you first realized you were not a Christian. What happened? Yeah, you know, I was 10 years old, and, uh, you know, people have said to me, how, how do kids know at 10 years old, you know, how do they know enough to receive Christ? I can tell you, at 10 years of age, I was sitting in church one night, and I'd been going to church, of course, all these years, and it, it just hit me. I, you've never accepted Christ. You're not a true Christian. You've never let him into your life. You know, you've never, and I didn't know everything about Christian theology, to be sure, but I felt God calling me, and, and I rejected. I didn't, I didn't step out. I didn't go to the front of the church and, and you know, acknowledge that I wanted to be a Christian. And I went home just feeling terrible, you know, and all that week I thought, man, I'm going to do it next Sunday. I'm going to do it next Sunday. Well, next Sunday I was there, and I didn't feel anything. You know, nothing. I didn't even, I thought, I thought maybe if I missed my chance, you know. <laughs> And the third Sunday, I ran to the front of the church. <laughs> oh, wow. It got to you after a while, the conviction. Yeah, absolutely. It was God, God yeah. working in my young heart. Yeah, that's right. I thought it was interesting, too, that you said a few weeks after becoming a Christian, you told another kid that you weren't a Christian, and that had kind of a big impact on you. What happened with that particular situation? Yeah, I was at the bus stop uh, waiting to get the bus to go to school. And a senior in high school, I was 10 years old, he was a senior in high school, he walked up to me, he had on a white t-shirt and had his cigarettes in his arm, you know, rolled up in his arm sleeve, <laughs> and he said, somebody told me that you're a Christian, is that right? And I was I was just startled, you know, yeah. and I looked up and how tall he was, and I said, no, I said, no, no, and I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then he said, well, are you or not? <laughs> 
And I said, not me, not me. <laughs> okay, that's good. Wow. And he walked off. Wow. And my heart just sank. And I remember the story about Peter. Yes, <laughs> right. Jesus right. three times. Yeah. I felt awful all that day. When I got home that night, I got on my knees and just apologized to God and told him I'm sorry that I let him down. And, and you know, if he would if he would give me the energy and strength, I would never do that again. I would always acknowledge that he was my Lord and Savior. So I, I'm glad I learned that early on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I had that sense of, you know, what it means to let God down. Well, did that make you in some ways more bold about your faith because you had that shame of having let the Lord down in that moment? I think it did. I think it did. And through the years, you know, I'm, I've been very open to share my faith, not in a belligerent way, not hitting people over the head, but, you know, just sharing my faith in Christ and, 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 and letting answer questions they might have. Yeah, that's good. That's good. What about your church time? When you're looking back now from this vantage point, what impact did your childhood church have on you long term? I think, first of all, the importance of the church. You know, I've worked on the same church staff now for 50 years. Wow. And people have said to me, you know, Gary, you speak all over the country. You write all these books. Why don't you just, you know, do that full time? And I said two reasons. Number one, I believe that the church is God's primary method of reaching the world. And secondly, I need a church family. Mm -hmm. I need a family. Every Christian needs a family. And so... Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that I experienced that and that the tremendous impact it had on my life just gave me a real sense of the importance of the church gathered, you know, in local settings all over the world. Right, right. And that's something that's never left you. And there's just so much more we're going to talk about. We're going to have to pause for a very quick break. Dr. Gary Chapman is with us. The name of his book is Life Lessons and Love Languages, What I've Learned on My Unexpected Journey. And we'll come back to the conversation after this break. You're listening to Janet Buffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International on Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, and Mozambique, nine of 10 Christians are denied God's word by corrupt governments and majority religions. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor Abel. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, and a limited time match will double your gift and help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Please call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates banner at JanetMefford.com. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, it is always so much fun to talk with best-selling author and pastor and radio host, Dr. Gary Chapman, who is joining me today. But it's kind of fun to actually talk about his life. It's outlined in a new book, Life Lessons and Love Languages, What I've Learned on My Unexpected Journey. And we were covering your childhood a little bit there, Gary. Now we move into some of the other things that have gone on. One of the things that you talk about in your book is the decision that changed your life forever. What was that decision? I think it was the decision that God wanted me in some kind of full-time ministry. And uh, that happened in my senior year in high school. Hmm. And uh, I had some friends just meet with me one Sunday afternoon and pray. I said, you know, I just need to know God's direction in my life. And by the time we finished praying, I knew that God wanted me in full-time ministry. And kind of tied with that was the first step in that process. And that's when a Bible teacher in high school... Uh, Janet, you probably you may not remember this, but they used to teach Bible in public high school. What a concept! <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> Old Testament survey, New Testament uh, survey. Wow. And that teacher mentioned the Moody Bible Institute. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of Moody Bible Institute, <laughs> and a friend of mine wrote and got a catalog. And I sat in the study hall one day and read that catalog. And by the time I finished, I knew that's where God wanted me to be. Nice. And the three years I spent at Moody just absolutely, you know impacted my life in a tremendous way. It opened up my eyes to the bigness of God's family. You know, as you said, I grew up in a Baptist church and I found out that there are Christians other than Baptists. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they do exist. A few, a few, right? (laughs) That's great. But of course, you had a very extensive education compared to many people because you were at Moody, you were at Wheaton, you were at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, then you were at Southwestern. I mean, you had quite a lot of education. Did you know where you were going to end up? I mean, when you talk about the Lord calling you into ministry, did you have a clear path where you would end up when you got to the end of your education? Well, you know, in the beginning, I thought that I was going to be a pastor because I I didn't know. There was only two things I knew you could do vocationally as a Christian. You know, one is be a pastor and one is be a missionary. Yeah. And I saw missionaries in the jungle, and I didn't like <laughs> snakes. So I thought, surely God wants me to be a preacher. <laughs> of course. You don't like pith helmets either, I'm sure. <laughs> but by the time I finished Moody Bible Institute, I sensed God was leading me to be a missionary. Hmm. Because I reasoned, why should I stay here? The biggest population is somewhere else, you know. Right. And I really sensed that. And so I moved in that direction. I majored in anthropology, cultural anthropology at Wheaton, which is a great background if you're going to be a missionary, hmm. studying other cultures. And then finally, the reason I went to my, did my Ph.D. in seminary 
uh, after I'd finished my master's was because my vision was to teach in a, in a, uh, a school in another country and train nationals so they could reach their people. And the mission board said, well, that would mean, you know, you'd be in a college or a seminary, so it'd be really helpful if you had a Ph.D. <laughs> so I went back and spent three years and did the Ph.D. after I was married and had one child uh, with that in mind. So, you know, I had plans to be sure, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I share this in the book after those three years, and we applied to the mission board and got turned down. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I'm thinking, what's wrong with the mission board? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and then they turned, it was because of my wife's health. And they said, she, she, she won't make it. She can't, we can't send you overseas. <laughs> and I was asking God, you know, why did you do this? You know, why did you lead me to do all this if you're not going to open the door for me to go? You know, so we went through a hard, hard time. But, you know, uh, through that, uh, Janet, looking back on it, I didn't, I didn't know all this back then, but. Looking back on it, you know, now, as you mentioned earlier, my books are in over 50 languages around the world. Incredible. And, you know, I was opening up a box of those books once and looked over on the couch, and my wife was crying. And she said, I said, honey, why are you crying? And she said, what's wrong? And she said, nothing's wrong. I just remember, we wanted to be missionaries. <laughs> and now your books are all over the world. It's funny it how God works. Moment, you know, <laughs> you realize, oh, God's plans were better than my plans, yes. you know, and yes. they were bigger than my plans. So, you know, yeah, I think we should plan, but we should hold our plans in an open hand and realize that maybe our plans are not God's plans. Amen. That's great. And, and of course, you talk about your wife and the book and your marriage, and you say that your empathy for hurting couples grew out of those early years in your marriage. A lot of people might not know that, that it was rocky for you yeah. there in yeah. the beginning, but that, that really was an important lesson for you for the work that God had you to do down the line, obviously. Yeah, you know, I think, Janet, if I had not gone through, if we had not gone through those, those hard years in the early on, I probably would have had little empathy for people who were having problems, and I probably never would have gone into counseling, hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, my attitude would be, what's wrong with you? You, you snap out of it. You yeah. know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but having gone through that, I know what it feels like, and you just feel that there's no hope. Yes. You know, we're just too different. It's not working. We don't understand each other. And, uh, and so I'm empathetic with people, you know. And so it's interesting how God uses even the hard things in our life to make us, to teach us, and prepare us, you know, for the ministry that he has for us. Yes. Well, and you've been married how many years now? Well, coming August, it'll be 60 years. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. My wife says she doesn't know how that happened because she's only 49. (laughs) (laughs) Time stops at a certain point. That is, but I mean, that is quite a milestone, and especially in this day and age, and I'm sure you have many, many stories to talk about how marriage and your marriage has changed and the kinds of trials you've been through and joys you've been through over the years. How does marriage change, would you say, over the years, now that you're at the 60-year mark almost, compared to where you were at, say, 20 years? or even five years? You know, Janice, what, hap- what happened was we finally learned what God had in mind when he, made it, when he instituted marriage, and that is that a husband will serve his wife and mm-hmm. she will serve him. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget the day I learned that uh, when I just said to God, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> you know, I've done everything I know to do. It's not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. And I just heard God say, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ towards your wife. Mm 
it hit me like a ton of bricks because I knew what Jesus said when he stood up. I'm your leader, and in my kingdom, this is the way you lead. Amazing. The leader serves. Yes. And I knew that was not my attitude. You know, my attitude was, you know, look, I know how to have a good marriage if you'll listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, God, forgive me. With all of my study in theology, I've missed the whole point. And I said, please give me an attitude of Christ toward my wife. Goodness. God changed my heart, you know, and I started asking the questions, what can I do to help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better husband? She started giving me answers, and I started responding. And within three months, she started asking me those questions. And, you know, for many, many years now, that's what it's been. You know, I do everything I can to help her and be the person God wants her to be, and she helps me. And, you know, it's it's what marriage intended, that we'd be loving, supportive, caring each other and understanding each other. That's so neat. That is so neat. So many things that you've learned, obviously, in your vocational career. That's something else that you write about in the book. What would you say the biggest takeaways for you are now that you look back on the success of the five love languages and the series and all the books you've written, all that the you know worldly success that you've had in helping people in their families and their marriages? What have you learned the most, would you say, from that experience? You know, uh, I think, first of all, the, the, big, the big factor is that it's God and not me. Right. And, and I learned that concept earlier, and, and God has brought it to my mind all along the journey. I learned it right after I finished college. Uh, God just brought me to the breaking point, and I came to that point of John fifteen five, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you stick with me, and you'll bear fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Amen. And I just acknowledge, God, I can't do anything <laughs> without you. And, 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 you know, when I sit down to write a book or even write a work on a chapter, I say, Lord, I can't do this without you. I'm asking you for a breath of your wisdom and a drop of your creativity. And then I, I proceed. <laughs> but I, but I, sometimes, sometimes if I start something, you know, without acknowledging that, I'll stop in the middle and say, excuse me, Lord, (laughs) here I am trying to do it. I need you. And if we realize that, wherever God leads us, whatever our vocation, that we need his help and we need his wisdom. You know, when you're through, I'm through. But I want to do everything. I want to be faithful to the end. What strikes me, too, is how it almost seems like a little bit of a parabola where you start out in life and things are kind of simple when you're a child and then it gets really complicated. And then it almost seems like from what you say in your book, it gets simple again. It gets simple again. God is faithful and his plans are not ours, but we can trust him. I mean, that's what's really coming through to me when I read your book. Yeah, well, that, that's that's exactly there, you know, and and when you have that, when you're married and have that in your marriage, I, I'll just give you one one illustration. Uh, nine years ago, my wife had uterine cancer, and for a whole year after the surgery, she 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 went through all the chemo and all that, lost her hair and lost the weight and just the whole whole thing, you know. Well, the day she got the news from the doctor, it was a more. I came down for breakfast and she said, "Honey, I want you to sit down. I got to tell you something." And she told me that the doctor told her you know, this was the case and she's going to have to have surgery. And I said, okay, Carolyn, I'm going to cancel all of my speaking engagements for the next year, and I'm going to be here with you. And she said, you listen to me. You're not going to cancel anything. You're going to do what God's called you to do. I'm going to be okay. You'll be here when I need you. 
And if you happen to be away, there are people that will be here in five minutes to help me. And I knew that was true. But that was her attitude, you know. And so I didn't cancel anything, <laughs> you know. And just to see her walk through that, and, uh, and, 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 and gosh, she's been free now for nine years after this. You know, Praise she's God. She's doing, doing wonderful. That's but, great. You know, in the hard times of life, and, and, and I think as Christians we have to realize we're not exempt from hard times in life just because we walk with God. That's right. And some, so, yeah, so just realizing that, but God walks with us yes. in the hard times. It's so great, and there's so much in the book, Life Lessons and Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Gary, thank you so much for being here. It's always a delight to talk to you. Well, thank you, Janet. Good to chat with you. You keep up the good work of encouraging people, okay? Okay, you got it. Thanks again. Dr. Gary Chapman with us. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. When there is any kind of huge shift in society, it's often hard to analyze it and put it into context while it's going on. But even as we're seeing some shocking developments in our world today, God's word is the perfect source to go to in order to get our bearings. You think of 2 Timothy 3, for example, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then the chapter goes on to say, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, my next guest reminds us that in the midst of everything we're living through right now, the Lord is sovereign. He's in control and his promises are sure. And that's why we can respond to our current events with solid confidence in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about all of it today with Christian speaker and author Jeff Kinley. His book is called Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. Kind of an ominous title, but Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for being here. Jen, it's always great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk about this new era of global crisis. I don't think anybody listening probably would argue with you that we are in an era of global crisis, but what do you make of it? What What do you think about when you're looking at what's going on all around us right now? Yeah, I mean, 2020 and really what we're still going through right now was just almost like this tectonic shift in world culture. I mean, so many things have come out of the crevasse that's opened up since this uh, this huge earthquake hit us last year. And, you know, I'm like everybody else. I'm looking around going, what, what just happened? What is happening? Where is this going? And does my Bible say anything about it? And I really believe that it does, Janet. I think that we have really passed through really a new threshold 
uh, in civilization hmm. with what's happening right now. And I think Scripture speaks directly to it. Well, I think you're right about that. One of the things that you reference in your book is not only the pandemic, but then the Great Reset. And a lot of us have talked about that in the last year. And globalism. We see more and more this idea here in the United States, which is very disconcerting to many of us, that this country that has long been one of the last bastions of sovereignty and standing up against globalism is beginning to wobble, and I would argue even morally collapse from within. How do you see the shift in terms of where America is right now? Well, at the end of this, or really in the, in the middle of this whole crisis, it really launched out new calls for a global world government. And, uh, you know, that's been sort of something that's been in the conversation out there, but this has emboldened those like at the World Economic Forum and other world leaders to call for a one world government. Yeah. The deal is, is that nationalism, Janet, stands in the way of globalism. Right. So if there is a nation that is independent, that is strong, that is a superpower, that refuses uh, essentially to, to play with the others on the block and, and to absorb itself into their world, then we're seen as the obstacle. And then certainly the last presidential administration we had was seen as a major uh, counter strike to that whole philosophy. And so now that that's been taken out of the way, there seems to be a new door opened up. In fact, Joe Biden ran on one of the World Economic Forum slogans, which was build back better. Yes. The idea is that we need to completely push the reset button, start over and change fundamentally change the way the world is. Well, and what's so weird right now, and I, I still am having a difficult time getting used to this, is you see so many Americans hating on their own country, just blasting it and trying to tear it down in every way. And along with that, as you mentioned in your book, you're seeing a lot more vile and uncontrollable behavior. We've got mass murders and crime more and more in the news and this not only physical brutality, but verbal brutality. You can see that on the internet every day. How should we understand why why this kind of reprobate behavior is increasing? Well, I think we go straight to the scripture. We, and we look at the, like the passage that, that you referenced in 2 Timothy 3 and 1 Timothy 4, uh, is that as we see the end times approaching, as we experience more of the end times, there's going to be a continued moral decay, a spiritual decline the Bible talks about uh, in those passages. We see it in Romans chapter 1. But really, as a society, what's happening is, is that Satan is really launching really a three-pronged attack, not only going after us uh, from our spirituality and our moral standpoint, but also creating divisiveness in the country itself, uh, like you said, a self-hatred in the country. And then thirdly, he's also weakening, I think, America through this. Uh, We're being weakened, not not just politically, geopolitically, economically across the world, uh, but it enables us to more easily move into that global role as we move into the future. And so America's foundations are crumbling all around her, and she has to wake up. The citizens have to wake up, but Christians have to wake up as well to recognize that Satan's agenda uh, is being implemented in our country. Well, when you talk about us entering a new threshold, I think you're absolutely right. What would you point to as kind of the the starting point of that? We could point to a lot of things that are going on in America right now, in our world, certainly. But how does this feel different to you, knowing prophecy as you do, and knowing that there are a lot of different things that have gone on during our lifetimes that are disconcerting? But what about now seems to you to be a new threshold? Is it primarily because of the global forces that are coming together post-pandemic or mid-pandemic, if you want to call it that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think part of it is just the global nature of it. I mean, think about it. In our lifetime, Janet, 
I cannot remember of a single time when the entire planet was focused on one thing. We were united on one single thing, not even in the World Wars, not even in 9-11 when that happened. So that, I think that's part of it. It's just the, it's just the global nature of it, which what, it's just what happens in the book of Revelation. Okay. The secondly is the context of prophecy in which it occurs. We see this during an age when prophetic fulfillment is, is being in its developmental stage with all the foreshadowings that we're seeing for, for Revelation's prophecies. And then the third thing, too, is just simply the... the pattern that we're seeing that we see in the end, the end of days, in the book of Revelation, the pattern of there's a world crisis, then there comes chaos, then there's calm and compliance by the populace because government brings calm. But then on the heels of that, the government grabs more control hmm. over our lives. Janet, this is exactly what's going to happen in a post-rapture world and the development of the Antichrist and of his kingdom. And so we're seeing that happen now with not only the mask mandates, with the strong encouragement that could go past encouragement on the vaccine thing, yeah. um, all the way to new variants of the, vac- of the virus coming up, which may require even more vaccinations. The quarantine, the shutdowns, the lockdowns, everything is emboldening the government and taking liberty away from individuals. Yeah, and it's happening at a time where we are seeing fewer and fewer people embracing the Lord, fewer people going mm-hmm. to church. We've seen a recent poll talking about uh, for the first time in 80 years, I think it is, you have fewer than 50% of the population members of a church. This is not right. by accident, obviously. This ties into what we know about apostasy and how things will happen in the last days. And also, when you look at the apostasy, Jeff, it's interesting that that goes hand in hand during the pandemic with growing government tyranny. Now, it's certainly not at the level that that it is in other parts of the world, but how do you analyze that from a biblical prophecy standpoint? Yeah, well, we just simply look around us and see what the Scripture says about it, and Scripture does talk about a last day's apostasy, a falling away from the faith. And I find what's interesting about that, Janet, is that it is combined in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 with a deluding influence, mm, and it's yeah. almost like a, a collective stupor that comes over a population, over a culture, even over a civilization, where they're just— they cannot make truth work in their head. They can't accept truth. And as Paul said in First Corinthians 3, the natural man does not receive the spiritual things of God. So where does that lead us? Well, that leads us to a point where we are inventing our own realities. Yeah. So you've got the Supreme Court of our country legalizing homosexual marriage. You've got transgender uh, agenda being pushed where a man can suddenly imagine that he's a woman and poof, he is. And if you don't agree with him, we're going to put you in jail or fine you or at least cancel you completely. So that deluding influence that Satan is putting over the world right now, which is really hypocritical because they don't apply it the same uh, principles to their own people sometimes. But that's where I find it. I find it straight in Scripture. Uh, that's the state of the world uh, in a post-rapture world. It's what Jesus said it was going to be like in the days of Noah, that type of thing, too. So we're seeing this incrementally happen in our world and in our culture, and Christians are to look around them so that they can discern the times and be wise in the times in which we're living. Boy, that is for sure. We're going to take a break and come back with Jeff Kinley. His book is Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today.
When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, it's great to have you with us and great to have with us Jeff Kinley. His book is called Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. And all around us today, we see Christians really unmoored in many ways by all of the events that are taking place around us, really at breakneck speed. Jeff, does it seem that way to you that these changes that we're all living through seem to be happening very, very quickly? No, absolutely. And one of the things that we saw with this whole coronavirus thing is that the world could change overnight. I mean, literally overnight, the world can change. Tells us how weak we are as a human race, but it also tells us that, you know, like birth pangs, Jesus talked about birth pangs and and relating it to Bible prophecy. And of course, birth pangs come in intensity and in frequency. And so what happens is, is that as we see these prophetic things on the horizon, it seems like they're traveling forward at us at a greater speed than we experienced in the past. For sure. Now, you've got a chapter in your book called Technology and Satan's Superman. And there are a lot of Christians who have been speculating about the role of technology and big tech. We've seen the censorship that's taking place of Christians taking down videos, taking down ministries. You know, a lot of ministries that deal with issues like homosexuality, they're getting just wiped out by big tech. They don't even have a voice on the internet in many ways. How does technology, in your view, play into the rise of the Antichrist and what we're going to see that unfolds in the book of Revelation? Well, one of the things that we see is that uh, technology, again, it's also changing almost every day. And one of the newest technologies that are out there has been developed by Amazon. It's called Amazon One. And, you know, we have gone, Janet, from a society where literally no one writes checks anymore to people swiping their cards, to people just passing their phones over, you know, a scanner. Well, now 
biometric scanning has been introduced by Amazon. They actually have these portals set up in different uh, locations across the country. It takes 300 milliseconds to read your palm and the vein patterns underneath your palm, in essence, as a way to buy and sell. And that is what Amazon, that's Amazon's solution to, you know, there'd be no more theft, there'd be no more, you know, fraud and that type of thing. You simply run your hand over it and in less than a second, your purchase is made. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the mark of the beast or anything, but it certainly does tell us that the technology for a global leader to implement an economic strategy and to really to impose an economic strategy on mankind is not a far-fetched sci-fi thing. I mean, that could happen. That could roll out overnight. Yep. I mean, look at how fast the vaccines have come out, uh, how fast they just simply make a law and you can't go on an airplane unless you have a mask or perhaps unless you have a vaccine in the future. Yes. So that type of thing really makes the era of Antichrist more palatable from a historical standpoint. Yeah, it's really creepy. And you, you put that together with some of these instances. They've been kind of infrequent to this point, but you can definitely see how this would increase in the future as well, where you see a bank here and there saying, well, I don't like this big conservative figure and I'm not going to do business with them, where you're seeing some of that, which is really very scary, Jeff, when you consider that the pandemic showed us how much richer the big guys get as the small businesses are driven out. So what happens then when you get to the point where it's, we always used to think of the mark of the beast, at least I did, and I think a lot of others did, as, oh, the big bad government is going to come after people. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of us factored in, and the businesses will go along with the whole scheme as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the infrastructure of an economy will have to be on board with that thing. And what's really frightening, too, is to think about the fact that with the with the this vaccine passport that, that many people are promoting right now on your phone, that that big tech company can trace you. They know exactly where you are, where you've been because of other phones around you. They know who you've been around. Um, the technology is there now with uh, Israel has been surveilling their own uh, citizens. Uh, so has Hong Kong. Uh, South Korea and also China. And this whole government intrusion in your life can tell you things like where, what a person's been attending, what movie they attended, what church they attended, uh, where they've been. And with some biometric bracelets that have been invented, Janet, right now they can tell if you're, if you're laughing, if you're crying, if you're excited, if you're angry. And so those, those things can be used to really manipulate a population, but also to monitor them to see if they're complying with governmental standards. Yeah, and the social credit scoring that they do in China, that's along the same lines. Very, very eerie and creepy. Let's talk about some of the signs, though. We know that as those who belong to Jesus Christ, we know how the story ends. We know the Lord will return for his church. He has promised that he will. We know that we have security in heaven with the Lord forever, and that's to come. We need to keep that in view when we're looking at all that's going on all around us. But obviously in 1948, we had the Jews returning to the Holy Land, and that was a very big moment in Bible prophecy. Where do you see the signs at the moment in terms of showing us how close we might be to the return of Jesus Christ? Well, a couple of things that that just jump out beside Israel itself is the whole rise of of a global one world government and the push for that in the world today. That, that again, is much more agreeable among the nations than it ever has been. And this, uh, the World Economic Forum working together with the European Union, uh, with a group called the Elders and the United Nations, all these together, they want the same thing. But they need a big enough crisis to force that issue. And I I personally believe that crisis is going to be the rapture of the church. So you've got globalism. The second thing is, is just with with what's going on in the Middle East right now, um, we know one rogue rocket 
launch toward Israel could start what historians would call World War III, and just the lack of peace in Israel. So this highlights the need of someone to come in and to have a ratified peace treaty. The other thing would be just the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. And of course, with the Temple Institute right now, they're sitting on ready. They've made sacrifices, they've trained priests, uh, they've fashioned priestly garments, they've drawn the blueprints out for the temple. The only thing they need, Janet, is permission to get on that real estate to rebuild their temple. And of course, I believe the Antichrist will give that to him. So all these things are almost like horses in the gate. They're almost like players on a stage, they're backstage behind the curtain, but they've just not been allowed yet to come on stage. Uh, and yet, I believe we're standing on the precipice of a time when that could really happen. Now, I don't mean to, to make any sort of predictions or, or to be sensational, but I think God right now is flashing a neon sign of prophecy to his people to say, mm-hmm. look, look around, look up, get your life together, get ready for the return of Jesus Christ, because my bride, I'm coming for you. And so it's also a call for us to get the gospel out as much as possible. So, so those are some of the signs that I see. And you've talked about a growing apostasy as well. Technology for the mark of the beast is already there. So Again, all these players are, are being set into stage, into onto a stage, and all it needs for God to open the curtain and start the show. Oh, right. Wake up, church. Wake up, mm-hmm. because we are nearer than we were yesterday to the return of Christ, and I can't wait. Yeah. Th- this is interesting. One of the things that you mention in your book is a lot of people will make a, a prediction of sorts about Babylon, all the references to Babylon in the Bible, and you actually have raised the possibility that Babylon could really mean Babylon, which is in Iraq, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And Babylon's mentioned over 300 times uh, in the Bible. I think almost every single time uh, it's mentioned as a literal city. And of course, that's one of the the headquarters of the Antichrist. I think if God could birth Israel in a day, then the the Satan could could certainly rebuild uh, ancient Babylon and make that its headquarters. And Mm. there are obviously some other practical reasons why a world leader would want to have his headquarters there as well. So I think it's entirely possible uh, that Babylon could be a strategic place. It's always been known as a harboring place for demons, and it will be again during mm. the tribulation period. Wow. So when the rapture occurs, there will be a super crisis, as you mentioned before. How would that play into what would happen next with the rise of the one world government and the rule of the Antichrist? Uh, just people disappearing would freak them out enough that they decided to just uh, you know, set up the kingdom of Satan? Or how do you see that unfolding potentially? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think part of it has to do with uh, uh, geopolitical relationships between, between nations. I think many nations uh, will experience, obviously, panic, confusion. Uh, there's going to be a mass economic uh, collapse uh, of many nations as well, and into that void of leadership. And you think about even in America, where Christians will be missing from key areas of every place, science, medicine, government, technology, education, the military, everywhere. And it's going to create a huge void. I think nations at that point are going to feel the weakness and and have the need to come together uh, to solve this super crisis. I personally believe, Janet, that people will know that it's the rapture. I don't think they're going to come up with any huge uh, theories about this. We read about in Revelation 6 that when the first judgments come, they recognize those judgments as coming from God and from the Lamb. So I think the rapture will create enough super crisis, even greater than the COVID pandemic, that will affect the entire world. And they'll essentially have to say, if we're going to survive, we're going to have to come together. And all of a sudden, here comes this charismatic leader 
and he woos the world over to his side. Oh, my goodness. And it could be sooner than we think. And we must be ready for the return of our Lord and Savior and Maranatha. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus. But I'll tell you what, this is really comforting, though, Jeff, because you really have stressed. The Lord is in control. He is true to his promises and he will take care of his church. Great book. It's called Aftershocks, Christians Entering a New Era of Global Crisis. Jeff Kinley with us. And Jeff, such a delight to talk to you again. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure, Janet. Thank you again. All right. You take care. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks for joining us on Janet Mefford Today. We'll see you next time. This hour of Janet Mefford Today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.